Again. Thank you for this amazing opportunity we have to uh, gather together today to be inspired by your story through our lives, your story in Scripture, uh, your, but more our lives. This, uh, like Paul says, this epistle that's still being written as the Holy Spirit inspires us and moves us and helps us to grow. We just ask that as we dialogue today, as we talk about this, as we discuss, as we even go into prayer together, that we would find ourselves animated by you, encouraged, looking forward to the weeks ahead, and finding inspiration from those sitting in front of us, behind us, their stories being tales of the gospel that are still being told. We just thank you for an amazing Sunday. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, today, yeah, teaching discussion. We've got communion stuff, uh, announcements, prayer circles, no music this Sunday, uh, but uh, never fear, we've got a good one ahead of us. Today I want to talk about the power of permissive. Funny thing is, I think I, uh, uh, it's the right time for it, so I've been putting it off for some reason for a little bit, uh, but uh, I've wanted to talk about this for a few months it's been on that kind of docket of ideas that I keep rolling with, with me at all times. I want to, uh, this is a Luke quote that I'm going to start with. Sometimes you have to burn your tongue to learn to trust that your mom was right and the cocoa was too hot. And other times you find out that she's just a worrywart. There's something about learning this relationship of Trust, finding something out, going from it. Like, I don't, I'm a, I, if, we're, if we're going to be told ideas from Scripture, from Jesus, from Christianity, things that will add to our life, they, they need to make sense to me. They need to, it's, it's got to click. It's got to, and not that this is an intellectual study that we all figure out, but it's got to, it's got to fit into the bigger picture. I remember when I was a kid, and I know I've told this story, but this is the only one that I've got, and so I continue telling it, and I was young, but I was, uh, I think I was in first grade, so seven, eight years old, and all of a sudden, uh, one of my parents got it in their bonnet, got to be in their bonnet, I'm guessing from someone at church that the radio was the devil, and that kids should stay away from the radio at all costs. I had zero interest in the radio up until this moment. You're a kid. We're playing in the forest. I'm shooting BB guns at my brothers. Kid stuff. Um, all of a sudden, there's this, like, you can't listen to the radio. And I don't even own a radio. And so you're like, what? Yeah, the radio's the devil. You can't listen to that. And you're like, okay. TV is fine, mind you. Nothing bad on television. But the radio is the devil. I was fascinated by this devil radio. Like, this is What? To the point where I stole my best friend's like little ear rabbit radio and I was caught in my bed one night with the covers over me tuning in a station and being like, what is on this radio that I'm forbidden to like listen to? Like I've got I've to research this and see, is there something to this? Is the cocoa really hot or is mom just crazy? Like is there, you know, is there, is there something to this? Um, but it opened up an interesting dialogue, young, like the radio is the devil went away instantly. Uh, and I don't know any back conversations she had with grandma. I should actually rehash this with her if she still remembers it and see what she was thinking at the time. But all of a sudden that went away and so did my fascination 
with the radio uh, until much older when your friends start listening and it's great. But there's something about this, um, the power that uh, confines has that draws you into it. The scriptures talk about the law uh, empowering our lusts and empowering something going on. And so today as we're talking about the power of permissive, this, this inspired by the Holy Spirit, something different going on. We need to remember back to things like this. Now, as a church that is, is known for grace, that's founded on grace, that it's Christ alone, it's not our works, I am constantly reminded by those who attend other factions called Christianity that if you teach grace, everyone will just start sinning. So it has to be very carefully told and because it's a very dangerous message. Like, everyone will become a sinner. Now, we are an eight-year church. I've yet to have one of you become this notorious, like, band sinner that just goes out robbing banks and sleeping with whomever you will and, you know, listening to the devil's radio or whatever, you know? It, it just, it never happened. I'm surprised. And not just here. <laughs> Uh, I've, I've never met anyone who had this problem who was like, ooh, I dabbled in grace, but then I slipped down the slope and just continuing, <laughs> tumbling down the hill until finally I was caught and like, oh, shoot, I've got to go back to... Like, it's this worry, this fear is rooted in nothing, is, is fear. But if you think back to um, even the progression of our religion... Um, the people outsiders of our faith would define it as a fear-based religion. It's, that's the tool that's used most. Not faith in Jesus, not the power of love compelling us to do something. It's fear. Fear of he's too graceful, so if we say he's that graceful, we're all going to roll down this hill of sin or fear of... And then we'll all end up in a burning pit forever and our lives will just be ruined. And woe to us if that happens. So you need to be careful in how we teach on how loving Jesus is. Now there's... It's this simple and it isn't this simple, and we'll get into that. But I don't know about you, but I don't know if you've ever heard this. Like, if you, you got to be careful with grace because it's, it's this slippery slope. That's the word I hear so much, a slippery slope. Like, man, God's love, uh, you still have to give people guidelines. There can't. And it's so backwards from what the New Testament says, like, all through it. It's just, there's, there's so much of this. Um, the gift of no condemnation gives people the power to sin no more. It's, it's this, the freedom of the Holy Spirit is what gives us the power to not walk in sin any longer. That frees us from that. That breaks whatever hold it had on me. When they gave up on this radio as the devil instantly, I had no interest in the radio whatsoever. I can barely remember back to this time. All I know was that all of a sudden I was really interested and I was like, oh, you realized you were wrong. I can listen to the radio if I want to. I listen to it for a couple days. And you're like, yeah, there's nothing on there I really like. So it just went away. There, but this power of like something I can't have that I want, it just drove me into it to find out, is there substance here? Is there not? Um, and so this gift of no condemnation gives us this power to sin no more, except that the sad thing is that so many times religion uses it completely backwards. And they say, go and sin no more. And then Jesus will be able to use you and be in your life and do things. And that is so foreign to what the scriptures that animate us, inspire us, that are, are there for our benefit. It's, it's not go and sin no more. 
and then we're not going to condemn you. It's, there's, there's a gift of no condemnation. There's a power in the release. As something happens, and I want to dive into that a little bit today. It's the power and it's experience the grace of Jesus that gives us this power to overcome selfishness, self, what's going on. Um, so I want to I want to have a little definition of sin for today's conversation. When we're talking about it, it's willful action or inaction that violates one's own understanding of what is moral, right or wrong. Uh, some people are looking to the Ten Commandments that are making this. Some people are looking to that to the Book of the Law, the Six Hundred Commandments. Some people are picking and choosing which ones they think seem relevant. Some people are following after the law of the Holy Spirit, the law of love, the Spirit where we're getting what is right and wrong, that moral, that something that we're going to. But this all comes from this human tendency to do things that serve ourselves or the tribe that we're in, our community, that serve us best, and we don't worry about it, anyone else. That's why when it's talked about so much in the New Testament, it really comes down to this, there's this selfish pull with it. I'm worried about my needs, I'm worried about my wants, my passions, my, and I don't care how many people it's going to hurt or affect or who else will be left with none so that I can have lots. And we just disregard any what seems right or wrong because of this. And so if, if this is kind of the a cushion that we can start with as we're talking about this, I think it will help us out a little bit here. So grace, the free gift of God, that our merit with God, our standing, right standing with God is not based on your performance, whether you did a list of right and wrongs correctly, but based off of Jesus and his love for you alone. It's based off of how much he loves you. He says, there's nothing right or wrong that you could do that's going to affect the way I love you. You can't do amazing things and I'm going to love you more and you can't do bad things and I'm going to be like, ooh, I'm going to love Allie a little bit less until you, you know, figure things out. Um, I've told the story about my friend who had this problem with smoking and he felt like every time he smoked a cigarette that, that God turned his back on him and only when he renounced cigarettes and made it at least two weeks without having a cigarette, then... God finally turned back around and be like, welcome back to the fold. And would like, you'd feel this phony cosmic hug that was like, you're doing good enough to be in my presence now. I'll be with you. But grace, there's a part of it that Paul talks about all things being permissible. And this all things being permissible is what frees us from desire. Uh, and that he starts talking about the law and, and the greater law, but also the Ten Commandments, the, this, these rules chiseled in stone as being something that captured us, that produced desire, that produced guilt, that entangled us. And there's a freedom that he starts to talk about that we're going to look at today. And it says that sin got its power from the very law that was told to instruct us about. And so Romans 7, 5, and 6 is the law could not solve the problem of sin. It only awakened our lust for more, and it cultivated the fruit of death in our bodily members. But now we have died to those chains that imprisoned us, and we've been released from the law to serve in a new spirit-empowered life, not the old written code. We've been empowered and released from something that bound us so that we can serve something else, a spirit-empowered life life it's not just one goes to the wind and we don't worry about it now it's just a bunch of followers of jesus tumbling down a hill towards sin getting worse and worse we've been released from one thing that bound to serve something else because we are serving something we're either serving the law or we're serving the spirit 
of Jesus Christ that lives on the inside of us, that's living, that's animating us. It's not just anarchy or the Old Testament. There's, there's, there's a higher way. There's another choice. There's a path we can take that, that leads to beauty that we want to look at a little bit this morning. Romans 6 even says, Sin's no longer a tyrant over you because you are under grace, not the law. It removes this power that the no has, that the, the, the devil's radio that we talked about at the beginning. Like it, it breaks a bondage that seems to come over us. 1 Corinthians 6 in The Voice is a fantastic chapter because this is where he starts talking about all things permitted, not things beneficial. But the commentary in The Voice is really interesting and I want to read it for you. It says, In the same way that some seek to reduce Christianity as a philosophy or a set of ideas, others seek to reduce it to a set of rules of living. And we obviously don't think it's either of these things. It's not just a philosophy and it's not reduced to just a set of rules for living life. It says, if true faith is only about eating certain foods or abstaining from certain things or avoiding certain practices, then willpower must be more important than the Spirit of God. Is that what we've reduced Christianity down to? Willpower being more important than the Spirit of the living divine residing on the inside of us. Because that's what this says, willpower is more important than God on the inside of us. And if we put our trust in that, I mean, you're putting your trust in you and your power to be able to say no to something. But it says following stringent rules is not easy. Actually, living by willpower is hard. Some might say impossible. Paul's preaching about an alternative to a life governed by rules and restrictions, a life of faith that embraces grace. And, when Paul, and what Paul is about to describe is a life of freedom that surpasses a life of rule-keeping. There's something more that we're talking about here. And so in 1 Corinthians 6, 12, he says, I can hear some of you saying, for me, all things are permitted. But let's face the facts, all things are not beneficial. And so you say, for me, all things are permitted, but here's my response to you. I will not allow anything to control me. And so his first response of this, like, yes, in the Spirit, there is no governing law over us. But again, we've been freed from one to serve something else, the Spirit of the living Christ. And that Spirit is saying, hey, let's watch our actions. What's controlling us? What addictions have grabbed onto you? Television, um, drugs, alcohol, sex. I don't know what. There's things in life that seem to hold us that we can't say no to. And he's like, these kind of things, he's like, they're not going to benefit you. It's actually going to just slowly pull you down more and more and more because you're only focused on that inner desire to satisfy whatever that bondage is. I've got to have this fix or I can't think straight. He even says in verse 19, if you follow Dan, he says, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit of God who dwells inside of you. You're not even your own. Like, Don't you realize that you've been taken from something that's just mortal that's just dust and you've been made into something eternal something beautiful something divine my spirit isn't just in you but it's fused to your spirit and the two spirits become something new altogether you've become that spirit on the inside of you not this but what's deep on the inside of us is made from the dna of the living god that there's something going on on the inside of us if we jump in corinthians down to Uh, Chapter 10, verse 23, again he says, all things are permitted, yes, but not all things build up and strengthen others. And so he's again looking at this and being like, as we're looking, as we're following this spirit, as we're doing this, we look at decisions ahead of us and 
Are they holding me back? Are they governing me? Are they holding me in just like the law would be, as, as something that's, that, has, that holds me captive, or is it something that releases me? And now it says, is it just for me, or is it to build up and strengthen others? Because our decisions should be bigger than ourselves. Because if not, it's just selfishness. It's you again living out all your needs. So he's giving us ideas on how to look and how to frame this up and to look at this new life of following after the Spirit. And so as I ponder decisions I make, I'm like, man, how does this affect the people around me? Is it just about me or is this going to hurt me or hurt my coworkers or hurt you guys? Is there something bigger going on here? And you know what? I'm empowered to be like, no, I want... I, w- I wouldn't want to hurt any of you. And so my decisions now take a higher vantage point and be like, oh yeah, let's do this because it's going to affect more people in the positive. In verse 24, he says, we should stop looking out for our own interests and instead focus on the people living and breathing around us. This is more than you. We're in this together. There's a unity and a call to be peacemakers that, that permeates so much of the stories of the New Testament that inspire us. Do we really see it's this or do we see it's this controlling force that's like, oh, Liz, you're not dressing quite right on a Sunday. Like that little thing around your neck is supposed to be covering your hair. And I would really appreciate it if you would not talk during discussion because ladies shouldn't talk during this. I mean, who knows the dumb rules and restrictions we put in place, but it says that these things will actually hold us back and bind us and actually empower sin even further in our lives instead of empowering us to something better and greater and beyond this. The commentary again on this verse 24 is amazing. He says, Paul's instruction on this matter is clear. Believers should give up their rights and freedoms for the sake of others. So all of a sudden we have freedom from everything, but it says we voluntarily now give up our freedoms for the sake of others. This is the cause of the spirit of love. This is what it is to follow the anointed one. He says this is what Jesus did and this is what Paul does. Otherwise community just becomes impossible. But no state or church authority should force compliance. It must arise from the heart of love and a disposition that puts the needs of others first. It should arise from the spirit that's on the inside of you because we need to learn to follow that spirit and be animated by that and to actually trust that the spirit of the living God that's on the inside of us is changing us, healing us, moving us closer to his image. Do we trust God or do we trust ourselves and our interpretation of what rules should be? Grace is not a license to just sin. That's what you'll hear people say. Grace is just this license to sin. No, it's, again, we've got to serve something, so we're serving the law or we're serving the Holy Spirit, the law of love, the law of grace, the law of the Spirit of the living Christ. But it's not a law that's written down that we can look at each other and be like, you're doing it wrong or you need to do it this way. It's a law that comes from the inside of us that's animated by love that says, to extend our gaze to others and see what that effect will have. Is it going to hurt those around us? Is it going to be beneficial? Is there something more to this? And as we train ourselves that way, as we start to look on the inside and trust our gut instinct, that Holy Spirit instinct, you can't go wrong. And you might trip and you might fall and be like, man, I heard that one wrong. But then you might, you might get some perspective. and Okay, maybe I was being, it was just about me or it was just about my worries being quenched or I was just trying to make sure that the future was all solidified for myself and I wasn't thinking about the bigger picture here. And you're like, okay, maybe if I broaden my horizon, if I let and listen to the Holy Spirit on the inside of me, we could have 
this could have turned out differently. But you don't beat yourself up. There's no condemnation. It's you're human. You're going to make this mistake. And so, again, you teach yourself next time, I'm going to pause and I'm going to listen and I'm going to learn and I'm going to make a decision. I'm going to move forward. And in that, I'm going to look and act and bring about a little more of the culture of heaven to the people around me and even myself. Our compass must point somewhere. I love the thought, and, and by saying love, I really hate the thought that grace is just to shatter the compass, shatter the everything. You're just, it's just a bunch of chaos happening. Like, how can you misunderstand this? All these scriptures keep using the word grace, grace, grace. Looking to others is an act of grace. Being pointed and animated by the Holy Spirit of the living God, the law of love, the law of the Spirit is pointing us towards something. It is a law in itself, but it's not a law that's written down that you can analyze whether the, your neighbor's doing it right or wrong. It's a law that we need to learn to trust. Because it's a law that doesn't have um, consequences in the sense that I can chastise you or give you Hail Marys, or, but someone's going to be affected by our decisions. It says even our words have the power of life and death in them, that we're, we can change someone's experience by what we're doing and so to take that seriously we've been given this gift all of this is a gift and we've been given the gift of freedom from having this cloak of bondage over us so why not use it for love why not follow after this why not take it to that next step because the law or even the scriptures they were written 2,000 years ago they wouldn't know about iPhones and social networking, and there's no laws written about these things, yet there are something on the inside of us that pulls us to be like, maybe I shouldn't write that. Maybe I should tell this person that I love them, but how is it going to tell them that? Where the spirit of the living divine on the inside of us is timeless. He moves, he changes. The situation is known in greater depths than we could even understand. And do we trust that he see things, he, that that spirit knows more than we do and that there's a bigger picture going on and we're, we're part and we're players and even a bigger love story that we can trust in. The Bible, so many times, is mistakenly given the third seat in the Trinity. There's God the Father, Jesus Christ, and the Bible. And we've got to trust that. And then, if you really understand the Bible, maybe you can start following the Holy Spirit a little bit. But where we get this BS, I don't know. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And it's not just an order of importance. They are all one together. And the Bible points us to those things and can teach us about that, but it cannot take the place of the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. There's so much of the Scripture that talks about us, the law being a tutor that would get us to the place of finally trusting the Holy Spirit. And now we're using it as not just the law, but the Scriptures themselves. We're, we're trying to reinvent the tutor. No, 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 no. You can't trust the Holy Spirit. You need this big tutor. And you don't just need the tutor, you need me to interpret the tutor for you because really, how much does TJ know about the Bible? So little, obviously. I need to help this guy out, shape his life, steer him in the right direction. Instead of, like, and what is he going to do when I'm not there? All of a sudden he's at a party and there's an opportunity to either love someone or to drink a bunch of whiskey and be crazy. And he's like, I, I texted Luke, he didn't give me an answer of what I was supposed to do. I couldn't find this in scriptures, what do I do? I'm not able to trust the Holy Spirit yet because I don't have a grasp on the third member of the Trinity, the Bible, and so now I'm lost. Instead of, if, we're, if I'm pointing you to the Holy Spirit in any situation we're in, in any, we can look inside and be like, yes, there's something more here. Maybe I shouldn't drink a gallon or, for some of us, an ounce 
of whiskey because it's just going to ruin the rest of the night. Uh, and it, for any podcast listeners, I really enjoy whiskey. This is not a message about whiskey stinking. It's just about maybe thinking about the benefits of having too much or our actions. Um, the Bible even tells us that itself that, that it's able to teach, to instruct, to inspire. But most of it is still getting us to the place that all those teachings and instructions and inspirings are pointing to us trusting in the Holy Spirit. Not going backwards and trusting in the teacher that taught us about the Holy Spirit. We need to get back to the art of following the divine on the inside of us, the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. We need to be a people that's known for following that Spirit because only then can we trust that that we're headed in an amazing direction, in a direction that's not just even human, but is divine, that there's something bigger. We can do supernatural things. It's a word that sounds corny, but I'm talking about even a hug at the right moment or the right, the giving the credit to someone else. We don't know the implications of such tiny acts of love, but if we trust that that's what God has made of, his DNA, if condensed down to one substance is love, then why don't we trust that those tiny loving actions can have monumental results, like it can just change the world around us. 2 Corinthians 3 was our reading this week, if you were following along at all. And in verse 3 he says, and this is an amazing verse that we opened with, that we talk about a lot here, Bloom, you, Brian, Matt, even Doug, are the living letter of the anointed one. The liberating king, nurtured by us and inscribed not with ink, but the inscription on you is with the spirit of the living God has written the epistle that is your life. You are a continuation of this story, yet we will trust the book, but we don't trust the epistles that are sitting right around us, that Paul says you are a continued letter of what God is doing. He says, a letter too passionate to be chiseled onto stone tablets, but to be emblazoned upon the human heart. There's something about your story that can etch itself onto hearts. Don't be mistaken, he says in verse 5, in and of ourselves we have little to offer, but any competence or value that we have comes from God. And God has equipped us to be capable servants of a new covenant, not by an authority of the written law, which only brings death, the law which only brings death, but by the Spirit which brings life. There's so many people that we, we start talking about following the Holy Spirit. Well, can you just give me some guidelines again? And I'm like, any set of guidelines again, beyond the whole ex- check your motives, is it extending to others, is it holding you back, is again, we're getting into you deciding that you don't want to trust God and you want to trust whoever gave you the list more than God. And that just leads to mess because we're human, we're going to make mistakes. I could give you a fantastic list of what I think would be fantastic commandments to live by, to not live by, to do or to don't. And it's just going to, it would work for a while and then it would end up tripping us up in a situation because again, we would, we would lose out on following the Spirit of God. If we move on in verse 7, I'm going to paraphrase for a little bit here. He even says, he calls the Ten Commandments the ministry of death. He says, consider this as the ministry of death which was chiseled in stone. Comes with glory. Imagine a greater glory that will accompany the ministry of the Spirit. He says, if the glory that was ushered in by the ministry that offers condemnation. These are beautiful, fluffy words about 
list or rule-based Christianity. How much more will be the glory to attend the ministry that promises to restore and set the world right? The ministry of the Spirit, the law of the Spirit, the law of love promises to restore and to set the world right. And it says, how much greater glory is that going to have? And he says, what seemed to have glory will appear entirely inglorious in the light of the greater glory of the new covenant once we realize the power of following the Holy Spirit. So yes, all of a sudden you're like, Woo, why did we ever live that way? It had glory, but it even begins to start appearing inglorious because of how beautiful it is, the life that's animated and follows the Holy Spirit. And he says in verse 15, Even today a veil covers hearts when the words of Moses are read. But when the moment that one turns towards Jesus and his spirit, that veil is removed. A life animated by the Spirit can read the law of Moses and not have this veil, but it's like if, if this is what we're stirring around, it's that there's a veil that continues to cover hearts. In verse 12, it says, In light of the hope that we have, we act with great confidence and speak with great courage. This should stir up confidence and courage in us, not fear or panic. Uh, Verse 17, he says, when I say, or the word, he says, by the Lord. When I say the Lord, what I'm talking about is the Spirit. And in any heart where the Spirit of the Lord is present, there is liberty. And he says, now all of us with faces unveiled, again, this veiling or unveiling, we reflect the glory of the Lord as if we were mirrors. So we're being transformed, metamorphed into his same image from one radiance of glory to another, just as the Spirit of the Lord accomplishes it just as the Spirit of the Lord accomplishes it. Not as you practice this and you figure out how to perfect this and you start doing it. It's as we trust that He's accomplishing something in us. This is growth by grace. It's the less of me and more trusting that He's doing something on the inside of me. That's where growth comes from. I'll hear people, I don't feel like I'm growing. I'm doing all these things. Okay, let's reverse your sentence again really quick here. I don't know why I'm not growing. I'm doing all these things. And they'll list the things they're trying to do. And I'm trying not to do these things really hard. You're trying really hard to do or to not do. And you're wondering why there's no power to get over these things. Because again, it's a you-based religion, not a Jesus-based religion. That we trust that he's doing it. Well, why isn't he working faster? Well, why don't you trust his timing? Maybe you're just that thick and it's just going to take longer to get through to you. But he knows what he's doing. He is the divine. Like, can we trust that his timetable means something, is worth something, can be trusted in, that we can rest in that. And in that rest comes a beauty that watchers from the outside will say, something is going on in that life. I want to recap for just a second before we move into the how to apply this. At the beginning, it says we were released from the law to serve a new spirit-empowered life, not old written codes. Released from one thing to serve something else. It's not just released and again, it's that notion of the, that we're just running chaotic. We serve the spirit of the living God. We trust that that still small voice on the inside of us, that gut reaction, that there's something greater there and we follow that. We learn by tripping and like, whoops, I guess that wasn't God. That was, I was just hungry for pizza. And I found someone who wanted to come with me, so I thought I was extending that love to others, but now we're both really sore and food poisoning because of the pizza. The next, so released from the law to serve the Spirit-empowered life. We must serve something, the law or the Holy Spirit, 
Paul tells us that all things are permitted, yes, but what is profitable will not control me, will not hold me down again, will not bond me or bind me just the way that the law put me in bondage. It's, it's something that is freeing and releasing. And so is this action controlling again? Maybe this isn't profitable. And then the next thing he says, and will it build up and strengthen the others around us? As I'm looking to the Spirit, as I'm listening to my gut, is this something that strengthens and builds up others? Is it something that controls me? No, this is probably the Holy Spirit inspiring me to go this direction. Can you choose to say no to it? Yes. Lightning bolts will not rain from heaven. You will not be damned for eternity. This, Jesus has secured a place with him forever, but he, this is how he trains us to follow him. Have courage that the Holy Spirit is transforming, is working inside of you, and it's not your actions. It's our animated actions by him. As we follow him, we'll see more of that, but he's changing something on the inside of us that we need to trust in. So as we do this, how do we apply it? What, what do we, what's our take-home from this today? As Bloom, we've got a message, again, that reminds us to stop making our own... You know what? Because that's really what it comes down to. I don't think any of you here have a set of who knows the rules over your toilet that you're looking at and be like, oh, I'm, I'm not doing a good job of loving my mother. I better beat myself up. But we have these non-written rules that we're beating ourselves up from here. Like, I should be doing this. And you might be, and I might be animating the spirit, but if it's condemning, if it's holding you back again, if it's something else, what are we doing here? Because the best kind of learner, science says, is this non-judgmental learning, this learning that allows yourself to fail and you don't go into this self-condemnation role that, oh, I'm just whatever, God must not be working me. It's like, okay, I messed up there. What do I learn from this? What do I learn from today's mistake? I made Chris cry again. Like, okay, I probably shouldn't do that. Like that obviously I thought was right and obviously now was not loving. So, okay, like I learn, I move forward, I keep going. Um, if this is true on how we should teach our kids to learn, what learning looks like here, how is this not how Jesus works and how it, it, this is reflective of all these scriptures? Have grace on yourself as you're doing this. You're going to biff it. You're going to mess up. You're going to be days where you're just like, not today. Uh-uh. I can tell that person needs help, but I'm just not here. And he's like, all right. Just reminding you that I'm here and that there's needs out there. And we'll look at them tomorrow then. And we'll go from there. Ariana Huffington from the Huffington Post, I heard an interview with her, and it was fantastic, uh, with Tim Ferriss. And she talked about passive-aggressive behavior in the workplace versus transparency. And how important it is, not just for the workplace, but our lives to have spaces that it's okay to be, not just even okay, but that forced transparency, that we can be open and honest, that we're not being nice in front of Liz's face, but then be like, why is Liz such a sinner? Like, seriously, why does she do those things? That it's so destructive to community. That it would be better, even though it's awkward, to be able to be in community, be able to be honest. And to start with yourself. Because that's where it's like, man, I'm, I'm having a hard time loving my coworker who is just a jerk and whatever. And talking about the struggle with it. Or my husband or wife or... Whatever it is in your life, there's, there's an air of transparency that all of a sudden that starts to connect us and to bring us together. But the passive-aggressive that we smile in front of each other's faces, but then we go home and we gossip, which Paul tells us is worse than a, a list of things that included murder and other things. Like We're just getting into the wrong spirit. It's not about pointing fingers at each other. 
It's not about this who's got it right and who's listening to the Spirit or not. That's what the list does. We start comparing ourselves to one another. But it's, that it's an honesty with where I'm at in the following Jesus' Spirit. Because it's Jesus who's animating me. It's Jesus who's changing my life. And so if there's only one person we can complain about, if I'm not where I want to be, it's him. And so if we want to gossip about him, I'm pretty sure he's okay with that. But if we start putting it ourselves or comparing ourselves to others, that's where it gets messy. And so can we have an environment, a take-home from this? Let's make sure that we're being transparent and allow transparency. Sometimes in our little prayer circles we do at the end, the best thing to make someone else feel comfortable being honest is you deciding to be honest with something you're being vulnerable with, something you're working on. An, An honest prayer, not a, oh, I hope my boss doesn't give me three projects this week. It's the more, I hope I don't, like keep writing that email, I wish I would email to him and then hit delete just because it felt so good to say those things. Just really quick, just get them out on email. Be like, these are the things I want to say to him and then I'm not going to. I'm going to delete it. I'm just going to let that air hang there or sit. Is there more? Can we be a church where it's, it's not gossip but there's that honest communication and talk? Um, God's unending love. By preaching sin, it ends up just being a fear of punishment that motivates people. And if our motivating factor is to not fear some kind of punishment, some kind of blowback, that doesn't produce change or results. But if we're animated by love, if love is the thing, that like, man, that sounds right. That sounds like me. That sounds like I want to be a part of that. That kind of animation. If we're known as a religion that is motivated by love, not a fear of punishment, it's going to change so many things. If we even look at our own parenting styles, it's, it's, it's love that motivates kids, not a, if you don't do this, I'm going to beat you silly. That, it just doesn't work. Trust me, like I, they tried it on me for years. It just didn't, the, so many wooden spoons broken before they're like, this isn't working with Luke. Like, come on. Um, I, you know, I'm even going to pause for one second to even interject my own thoughts on something. Um... Take it or leave it. Uh, I am actually really annoyed that Christianity still pushes the don't spare the rod, kids need to be spanked. The rod that they're talking about in the Bible is the shepherd's rod that he uses to guide the sheep. It has a hook on the end of it so that they can take it by the neck and show it this is the path you need to go. It was never used to hit the sheep. It was used to guide and to direct and to corral. Yet we use a verse that talks about leading and guiding sheep to be the verse we use. And there's one of these like, you need to beat your kids until they obey. And like, because this is in the Bible. And so even when me was little, the church teaches like, you're like, you do it, and then you say, I'm, I'm really sorry I had to do this, but it was in the Bible. And so, like, what does that teach kids about God? I'm sorry if we're going off on this for a second, but we need to be careful with, because it's putting images in of, of something completely different. Like, it's, it's not abuse you till you're old enough to not being abused? Because then why can't we take that into life? Well, we're, we're going to slam you with these rules until you're ready to follow the Holy Spirit. And we'll decide when that age of accountability is and when you're going to be fine. Like, th- this stuff, it just starts to spill into everything else. And if it doesn't start with our little kids, like, when is it going to start? And where are we going to do this? I'm sorry. I don't know why I felt like I needed to do that. God's unending love and your unending love should be the motivating folk. Uh, factors for these types of changes because the, law, the, the scripture says the love of God is what draws us to him. 
It's the love that we exude to our friends and our coworkers and our family members that draw them to us. This is something is going on with this person. It's not your ability to be super disciplined or to have all your crap together. It's the love of God that they're seeing on the inside of you. The most amazing part of all this is Paul says that this is just a gift from God. Free, open-handed, that we can take at any moment. And he says the reason it's a gift is that so none of us can boast that we're doing better than the person next to us or the side of us. It, grace is the greatest equalizer there are. And in a world with so much inequality around us, the people who are following Jesus, followers of Jesus, followers of divine, we need, this needs to be coming out of our pores, this kind of equality, this kind of, we're all in this together. It's, it goes back to the transparency. It goes back to the non-judgmental learning. It goes back to a non-fear-based motivating factor and a love-based one. This is a gift, and we're all in this together. We're all equals. We all have the same possibilities every single day to love and change the world as the person next to us as someone else does. And it's just learning to follow and to trust that he is doing something that just something comes alive on the inside of us. And all of a sudden you find yourself at 39 years old, that a life that looks so much different than the one you planned and every five years, it seems to look so much different than the one you planned because, and it's so much better than you could have imagined because following God will take you places that didn't maybe seem to line up with the best society has to offer, yet it ends up being so much sweeter and so much better than any of that could ever be. Let's pray and then we'll dialogue and discuss what this looks like. Jesus, we just thank you for the opportunity again to dive into really what boils down to just trusting that you're in us and doing things. Again, that it's pointing back to Jesus and not our own efforts. And yes, we've laid down written laws and commandments and this strict religion that is tempted to be fear-based for a trust-based following our spirit that you are in control. And, we, and that's not easy at times. We love to have our hands on the wheel. And so we just ask even now, as we're talking about trusting that you're the one doing this, again, that you reassure us that you're doing something on the inside of us and you won't stop until we're perfected, until we radiate that glory and look like you ourselves. And so we just thank you for that right now. Guide us as we discuss how this relates to life and as we spend the rest of our day together. In Jesus' name, amen.